Hello, and welcome to Prophecy Girls, a Buffy rewatch podcast. I'm Kara Babcock, pronouns she, her. And I'm Stephanie Chow, pronouns she, her. Join us each week as we break down every episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer from the beginning. This is a spoiler-free podcast, and we're currently on season three. Whether you're watching for the first time or longtime fans like us, we'll be analyzing every episode, character, and storyline like it's our first time, too. During this rewatch, we'll reminisce about our memories of Buffy, discuss the show's cultural impact, and provide honest commentary from a 21st century lens. Thanks for listening. Now on to the episode. Yay! <laughs> Today, in this bonus episode, we're going to be chatting about Twilight, the 2008 movie based on the novel by Stephanie Meyer of the same name. As if you could outrun me. <laughs> oh, were we supposed to pick our favorite quotes? <laughs> as if our listeners could outrun this summary. As if they could fight us off. I am going to admit it right here and now. I am a Twilight fan. <laughs> I have watched all the movies numerous times. I've read the books. That doesn't stop me from shitting on it because I, th I think there's plenty to shit on. But I think this bonus episode, Kara, will be where we discover what it is exactly I love about this series. I can't help it. I keep coming back for more. I watch it. I would say like it's like my comfort movie series. Wow. I put it on. I put it on in the background when I'm cleaning and cooking. I put it on when I'm paying attention. I watch it. Do you all have the, time. the soundtrack? Yes, I love the soundtrack. Soundtrack's great. Do you have Twilight bath towels? <laughs> Not yet, but Christmas is just around the corner. Do you have <laughs> underwear with Edward Cullen's face on it? No. So this is actually, I'm glad you're doing this because it actually does define the type <laughs> of fan one can be, you know? I, okay, so Twilight is a phenomenon. It was a phenomenon for sure when it first premiered. I don't think it was meant to be. It was meant to be a little indie film. Oh my God. Yeah. It blew up. Uh, and then obviously it spawned four sequels that I also watch equally as much. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So before we get into the summary and then talking about the actual movie, let's you and I share kind of our history of Twilight because we both came to Twilight slightly older than the target demographic, right? So Twilight was aimed at teenagers, especially teenage girls. Mm -hmm. yep. How did you find Twilight? Did you read the books first or did you see the movie first? What's your Twilight journey? My Twilight journey was, I think, oh, you and I realized that it came out in 2008, which is the yes. year we met. <laughs> right. And then I said it's as old as it, So we watched the movie together, Listers. Yes. Um, Yay. It was really, really fun. And I said, oh, Twilight, the movie is as old as our friendship. And Steph kind of made a face and she's like, there's probably better movies from 2008 we could use <laughs> to define our friendship. There, okay, but this is the thing, is is there? <laughs> I think it's actually quite beautiful that it came out the year that we hung out at the art galley for so long. Um, this movie, I will say though, so I did a little research on it. And at the end of its year, it came seventh highest grossing film of that year behind movies like The Dark Knight, Wally, -E, and Iron Man. And it outranked Quantum of Solace, which was a James Bond movie that, that well, year. Well, that's not surprising. <laughs> I mean, no, no surprise there. But like, I'm just saying, like, it was a phenomenon in that way. And I, that's why I went to go see it. I went to go see it. Uh, I remember in theaters, I saw it with some friends and they wanted to go because they had read the books. And I was so 
mean and sarcastic and uh, critical of it. Maybe that's my internalized misogyny, right? Just going in and being like, oh my God, like this movie for teens and this is so stupid. And I think it was the genre of which I was watching I didn't like. And I there's a lot of comparisons to Buffy because obviously I'd already watched Buffy at that point. Yeah, so I didn't like it. But then I watched the second movie the next year and I went back for the third and then I read the books before the fourth and fifth movie came out and I read them on the plane to China. I remember like I, I read it all the way through. I like 14 hours, get through that series. <laughs> and like, I don't know what to tell you. Like I said, somewhere in there, it grew on me and I became low-key obsessed and I've watched it multiple times a year ever since. So there it is. It grew on me like mold. <laughs> Have you read Fifty Shades of Grey? I have. I've read the first. I didn't read the rest of them. I read one. I read the first one. And I was like, utter trash. And then didn't read it again. (laughs) What about you? Tell me your Twilight journey, please. So I read the first three books, kind of like you, all kind of together in 2008, in May. So that would have been just before we met. Um, I was visiting a friend in Ohio. Her name is Lauren. I was there for about two weeks. And didn't bring enough books i needed reading (laughs) material because Kara likes to read so i'm like what do you got for books lauren and she's like oh how about twilight and i'm like never heard of it oh amazing Uh, so you know i i read the first three books because that was what was out at that point and got through them fairly quickly because they're not super challenging in that sense i remember thinking favorably of them not that that they were particularly special to me But I'm like, okay, like it's a good enough story. Entertain me for the couple of days I was reading them. Didn't read Breaking Dawn because by the time it came out, I was just at a point where it's like, well, you know, I'm not that interested in it. I don't need to read it. So I've got other books to read. I know I've probably tried watching the movie at various points. It's been on TV and stuff. Just didn't get through it. Just one of those (laughs) things where it's like, you know, I put it on and then I'm just like, no, I'll watch something else. Um, so this is my first time that I can remember watching the Twilight movie all the way through. And, and like, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to approach it with an open mind. I will probably be pretty critical. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I think you touched on something very important that I wanted to bring up, this idea of internalized misogyny and how Twilight, both the book and the movies, does deserve criticism. Uh, there's a lot of problematic stuff in there especially when it comes to the way that Stephanie Meyer it you know is putting a very like like moralizing view point on certain things. Yeah, we need to talk about her. <laughs> yeah, so, so like it's problematic for sure. And, and mm-hmm. I'm totally open to criticizing it. Also, and I'm just going to put this out there, I don't think the movie's a very good movie mm-hmm. just from like a cinema point of view. And I'll talk about that. But I think we should be aware that One of the reasons that Twilight and Stephanie Meyer has received such criticism and so much backlash is because she's a woman. Um, And also she's Mormon. And it's very easy in our society to criticize women more harshly um, and to criticize people from, you know, less mainstream denominations of religions and Christianity more harshly. You don't hold them up as weird or strange. Mm -hmm. So I, I just wanted to mention that at the beginning here. Because it does make me uncomfortable. I don't want to feel like I'm part of a pile-on. You know, definitely there was a time when it became very fashionable to bash Twilight. And also, as you mentioned, because the target audience is teenage girls. And Mm -hmm. 
we are we're harsher and more critical of things meant for teenagers and young people in general. Uh, much easier to dismiss it from a critical point of view. Yep. But especially for young girls. It's like whatever teenage girls love is shallow and doesn't deserve our time or our attention. Yeah. So as we talk critically about Twilight today, I do want to position us in this place of, you know, we're going to call out the problematic shit. Uh, we're going to rip on it and make fun of it because that's do. what we're here to do. Right? As we yeah. do. Yeah. Like, we do that for <laughs> Buffy too, right? Yeah, yeah. But, you know, I also want to say like, if you love Twilight, if you, you know, discovered the books, especially maybe as a teen, and they spoke to you, and maybe this is the thing for me, if Twilight got you reading, because I know for a lot of people, Twilight was the first book series that they like loved, and it got them reading more books, good for you. Mm-hmm. There is no shame in that. There is no shame in loving Twilight. I, I do think it's a little weird if back in 2008, you were like a 35 40 year old woman going a to the twilight movie theater mom. by yourself yeah the twilight yeah, yeah. mobs creep me out the twilight <laughs> cougars creep me out a little bit um well no no but like they have an ally if you're a twilight fan i'm an i'm one of you i just admitted i watch the movies all the time all the time and uh i like i said i shit on these movies i am here to critique yeah. them they need to be critiqued but I also enjoy them. So, you know, we're all in this together, basically, is what I'm saying. (laughs) Yes. So here's a comment about the movie before we get into the summary. I do think the movie reduces many of the problematic aspects of the book just because it's so fucking generic. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, like It's a good thing. (laughs) You know, I, I, I don't remember the book that much, but there were a couple of things that jumped out at me that I remember as being, like, absent from the movie. Like, the movie itself just... The movie does not give a fuck if you remember any of the other characters' names, who they are. Like, like the movie is just about Bella and Edward. And I remember you and I were talking as we were watching it about how there's just all of this character development for the other characters that falls by the wayside. So I'll be interested to get into that with you. Can't wait. All right. Would you like to hear my personal summary of Twilight, the movie? Kara... Your summaries of our episodes and of things in general are like my top five favorite things in my life. So please give that summary to me right now. <laughs> Bella Swan is a teenager who moves from Phoenix, Arizona, back to her former hometown of Forks, Washington, where her pretty privilege nets her a friend group <laughs> at high school in the first week. But Bella only has eyes for Backstreet Boy Edward Cullen, her science lab partner whose brooding, hot-and-cold demeanor has her hot and ready. (laughs) Eventually, Bella discovers Edward's secret. He and the Collins are vampires. (gasps) Sparkling, incredibly good-looking, somewhat pseudo-sexual, nigh-invulnerable creatures who feed on humans. Except for the Collins. They're vegetarians, which apparently Stephanie Meyer thinks is this huge burden of some kind. Anyway... Uh, Bella is apparently like vampire catnip, and this endangers her when a trio of cooler dressing but less chill vampires shows up. And one of them catches her scent and decides he absolutely must have her on the menu. (laughs) Edward and the Collins are able to save Bella and defeat the vampire, but his mate is still out there, and Bella has now seen what she cannot unsee. She's still hot and ready, though. Oh, (laughs) I slow clapped you. I love that so, so much. You also forgot. Okay. 
I want to tell our listeners that watching a movie that I'm very familiar with, with Kara, who has only seen half of it or a little bit of it, was a fucking joy because we were making fun of it the whole time. And okay, the very first scene, the very first scene, it opens up and there's the deer and we hear Bella's narration over top of the deer in the forest. And then obviously something runs after the deer and catches it. Um, And Kara says right off the bat, she says, oh, the deer's the narrator. (laughs) I think you were the one who came up with the idea that the deer's the narrator. I was trying to joke about how... I was pretending that I thought the deer was Bella, right? Like, I'm like, Bella's oh, I expected Bella to have like fewer legs. Like, <laughs> so this is why I love watching movies with people who haven't seen them or are not familiar with them because it's, I can see it through a new lens. I see it differently, and it's so it's such a joy. I did this with somebody. One of my friends had never seen Hocus Pocus, and we watched it together, and it was like watching it. It's like experiencing Christmas with children again. You know what I mean? Like it's just it's wonderful. Mm-hmm. So great summary. You you hit all the main points. What we need to talk about first is how we discovered the pretty privilege of this oh, character boy. of Bella. We, we can say a lot of things about Bella, but something I never realized until we watched it the other night was how it's her pretty privilege that gets her all these friends at school because Bella is like a sunken log. Like she's got zero personality. She doesn't want to make friends, yet she's welcomed into this crew of popular kids immediately <laughs> and everyone's obsessed with her and they want to write an article on her. They want to yeah, ask like, her to prom. <laughs> that's what's interesting to me is the way that the movie positions bella she's coming back to forks she's like some minor celebrity and everybody is falling over their feet to say hello and be like hey remember me from when you were young and probably don't remember anything like yeah they like want her approval and this continues throughout the movie it's like bella is the most important person in this world in this universe (laughs) um and, and, and i feel like that's one of the things that people have criticized about the book as well right it's just like why is Bella so special? Um, <laughs> she's not. <laughs> yeah, but that's what yeah, the books and the, and the movie position her as being. And like you said, she comes into this group. I don't even know if they're the popular kids, but that's the other thing is this high school, we don't see that much of it. Yeah. This high school is too big. It's too clean for high school. Yeah, super clean. Um, That cafeteria scene, I'm just like, what is going on? Why is everything so white and clean? Was also a super rich high school because they have that like beautiful yeah. little fruit and veggie buffet thing in Forks, you... <laughs> Washington, which is apparently this small town where it's like you have to go into another town to buy a book. Yeah. Um, Yet they have gourmet catered meals every day at school. Yeah. Well, here is the thing. I think Kristen Stewart actually, for all the shit she got for this role, I think she did a good job. Well, I, I love Kristen Stewart. Yeah, um, my, I, I told you this while we were watching. My favorite Kristen Stewart movie that I've seen, I haven't seen a ton of her work, is The Runaways, mm-hmm. which I think is just a brilliant um, take on, you know, Joan Jett and The Runaways and the the issues in the music industry, which to still exists to this day when it comes to exploiting, especially women and girls. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and it's recently Kristen Stewart said that she's only done five good movies in her career <laughs> she meant twilight so, right <laughs> right immediately immediately the joke was that she was talking about the five twilight movies. <laughs> uh, i hope so um 
Yeah. Well, okay. So I think she did a good job. I, I, I also make fun of her acting where it's just like, just spit it out, Bella, where she's like, but that's how she is in the book, right? Like that's the thing is I cannot criticize Christian Stewart's portrayal of Bella because that is true to book, right? Like there's so many other liberties the movie takes from the book. That is the book. Is it's Bella talking to us this entire time? You know, as I told you when we were watching, I'm like part of my struggle with this movie is it's a 2008 movie and it's still using voiceovers, which really fell out of style. Mm-hmm. And, and the voiceovers sound hokey and it's mm-hmm. like why are you spending all this time giving us this internal monologue exposition it's a very lazy storytelling device for a movie but that's how the book is it's bella talking right to us being like i thought this i thought that mm-hmm. you know edward smells nice like <laughs> you know yeah. that's part of like is stephanie meyer a good writer not really um you know she gets the job done but that's what's interesting to to me is the movie had this choice they didn't have to do that they could have improved that and they were just like now we're good (laughs) we're all good here and also because bella is such a bland character yeah seeing the world through her lens is is just really funny because this girl is not special at all and there's a movie, a spoof movie on this movie, and they make fun of it saying like, hey, Bella, you seem really cold and frigid and boring. Do you want to go to prom with me? Because like, no, like everyone is like attracted to her and wants to be near her. But I will say what I was trying to like get to the crux of why I like these films so much and why mm-hmm. I keep coming back for more. And one thing that I will say, sure, Bella Swan, there's a lot of pro- problematic things to her personality. Is she a good role model for young teenage girls? I don't think so. But isn't it nice to have a blockbuster movie told through the lens of a girl, right? It's a female focused yes. blockbuster movie. And we are hearing about the story through Bella. And I think that's actually really nice and powerful. And one of the reasons why teenage girls like it so much. Yeah. Directed, written by women. That's always good. Amazing. It's not even like, so Catherine Hardwick directed the movie and she did 13, which is was a phenomenal movie and something that I watched a lot when I was 13 because <laughs> it, it, it actually spoke to me. So Catherine Hardwick knowing how to get into the psyche of a teenage girl was actually a brilliant choice for this movie. And it was also screenwritten by Melissa Rosenberg, who wrote for Jessica Jones and Dexter. So we have this film that's told through the perspective of a young girl, directed by women, written by women, for women, for young girls. Yes. The thing is, it why did they hire a female director? Because every other movie after this one blew up was directed by men and oh written God. by men. Really? Yeah, and I think the reason... Like, I'm not surprised, but on the other hand, I'm just like, uh, Hollywood. But this is why I say it was supposed to be... It was supposed to be an indie film because they would... If they had known what it was going to become, they would never have allowed Catherine Hardwick to direct the first one. It would have been a man. So I love that the beginning of the series, as critical as we're going to be on it, it is a huge deal. And it it started something that made the studio billions of dollars and they trusted a woman to helm it. And I think not knowing that it was going to be what it was, but the fact that it became what it was with women steering the wheel. If I'm going to praise the movie for anything, it's for what it accomplished with females in the lead. 
Those are great points. I, I agree with you. And to the extent which I would criticize the plot of this movie, the criticism stems from the source material, right? Like yes. their hands are tied. Mm -hmm. uh, there's little they can do. I I mean, when you're adapting, you can you could just totally change the story if you want. But yeah, I feel like I feel like especially with a book series as loved as Twilight, that would not net you the fans. Um, but yeah, like m my principal criticism of the storytelling in both the book and the movie would be that Bella just lacks agency. And I, this is not an original criticism, right? Like anybody who's criticized Twilight has pointed this out, but like right. for the record, right? Bella as a protagonist does shit. <laughs> she reacts. It's always like Edward's like, you have to run or you have to do, right? Yeah. Like take some fucking initiative, Bella, you know, things happen to spine. her. Yeah. yeah things exactly. happen to her. Nothing. She's a, do things things happen to her <laughs> yeah and, and that bothers me especially when you point out right this is you know a predominantly woman-led production because i feel like we need to demand better from those mm -hmm. we need to hold those films to a high standard as much as we do other films and not just say right oh well it was directed by a woman it was written by a woman you know, and then we're going to go easier. And I know, I know you're not saying that stuff. I'm just saying, like, you know, we have to be careful when we're praising films for having that makeup of also remembering that we shouldn't go easy on them for that reason. Mm -hmm. Because really what we're doing then is just lowering the bar. Yeah, no, of course. It's just you want to point these things out because maybe people didn't realize and why this movie is so different yes. from the others. Well, I, I didn't realize until I saw the credits. And to your point about Stephanie Meyer, like the source material, right? Like there were a couple things that Catherine Hardwick wanted to change from book to film. And Stephanie Meyer is the reason a lot of those things didn't happen. So, for example, Boo. if you look, right? So, if you look at the diversity, of the cast it's not these are all white vampires and they're doing their white vampire thing but Catherine hardwick wanted alice the character of alice to be japanese she wanted her to come from japan and i was like that's such a cool idea right but stephanie meyer was like no all of the collins are white and the only thing you can change about alice is that she's not blonde she can be a brunette if you want you know what i mean well also i mean i know you have thoughts on rosalie <laughs> yes i do <laughs> Um, but the, that's my point is like, I, as much as you're right, you're, what you're saying is they did a good job, but yeah, we can't give them too many cookies for doing what they did because for sure there's still room to critique when it comes to how the girls are portrayed in this film. And, and when you say that about Rosalie, it's because I just really hate that they casted, uh, what is her face? What is her name? We could just do a call and response thing where it's like, listeners, what's Rosalie's name? And then we wait, and then we're like, very good. Very good. Good job. It's it's Nikki Reed. And I, I'm annoyed that they casted her because Rosalie as a character is blonde, obviously. And that's like a big part of her personality. And um, Nikki Reed is Catherine Hardwick's stepdaughter. So that's nepotism. Must be nice to have a stepmother who's directing Hollywood films. Well, that's why she was in 13 as well. And I actually really like Nikki Reed. I think she's great, but not for this role because the dye job they did on her in this movie, I forgot until we watched it again on Friday. And I was like, it's so bad. It's so bleachy. It's so bad. She needed to go back at least two more times to get the right kind of blonde. But uh, yeah, not. I would not have casted Nikki Reed. I would have found an actual, you know, 
someone who is not so related to the director. This is another one of my problems with the movie compared to the book is the movie is so incredibly shallow when it comes to all of these other characters. We barely meet Rosalie and Emmett and Jasper. And I'm very impressed with myself for remembering all of these names, by the way. I'm really impressed too. <laughs> yeah, like we barely meet them. We spend so little time. There's just these little throwaway lines. And even Edward and his backstory, right? We get a single flashback to Carlisle biting Edward in what's supposed to be an influenza hospital ward in mm. 1918, right? And it's just like, there's so little development of that story versus the exposition we get in the books. And I wish that the movie had taken more time to do that and less time with Robert Pattinson chewing the forest scenery as he <laughs> yells at Bella about how she can't run away from him because he's a predator. But don't worry, because he's vegetarian. What do we eat? Yeah, uh, I agree. I agree. Uh, every other character is super shallow. I will give a shout out to Charlie because I think oh my that God, actor. Oh the best. Yeah, I know. I think that Billy Burke did an amazing job as as Bella's father, who is just clueless and doesn't know how to connect to his daughter. I think he does a really good job of reacting and bringing in the weirdness of the situation because everything he sees Bella doing is just, oh, this, she's a teenage girl who's growing up. But really, she's dealing with all the supernatural, like life and death situations. So I think it, I think he did a really good job. Uh, but yeah, I totally agree with you. And what I will say again, I'm just going to defend this movie. What I will say is that the for the school friends, I think they did. A, they tried really hard, obviously, to make it so that Bella is different from the friends that want to be friends with her so, so bad. Every other character, I think it's a little bit on the nose how youthful they act and how they're, you know, immature and they're play together like, I guess, 17-year-olds might in real life. And then versus Bella, I think there's the one scene when they're leaving the class field trip and they're all like goofing around and Bella's just like, mm, no, and like walks away. And you were like... Is this supposed to represent how mature Bella is? And I was like, I think it's meant to be that she's not, she doesn't fit in with them. She's like in her own little world. But yeah, I think the fact that they, these minor characters are played off in this way, it is really one dimensional, but that's what the source material had, right? They're just supposed to be backdrop to whatever Bella's experiencing. Yes, I agree. So on the subject of vegetarians, <laughs> I still can't get over how Edward Cullen is like, yeah, we're like vegetarian vampires. And it's really tough. You know, it's like if you spend your whole life eating tofu every day, it's just not as filling. <laughs> it's like, Stephanie Meyer, have you ever met a vegetarian? Um, did vegetarians <laughs> hurt you when you were younger? Because of all the groups to come after, and I am not a vegetarian. I, I love eating meat, but I also enjoy vegetarian meals. And I love lentils and tofu and beans and you know all of these plant rich proteins nutritious alternatives to meat they're great why are you throwing shade on vegetarians <laughs> it's just it doesn't make any sense to me and i just it's this throwaway line and i'm like that's not how you should explain this because really right stephanie Meyer's trying to do what angel did so well in season one season two of buffy where he's just like yeah it's this hunger and you know i have a mm -hmm. soul but i'm still feeling this hunger for human blood and i have to resist every day and he's just so much better at explaining it 
You know, you notice Angel at no point says, I'm a vegetarian vampire. <laughs> yeah, he doesn't need to throw the shade. He just, Buffy just gets it. Um, yeah, I agree. And this is not the only thing that Stephanie Meyer does or says in her in her writing that is like, whoa, because the whole abstinence thing that she preaches here right. is also problematic. Uh, and this is an, an this is also not an original thought because it's another reason, uh, another thing that a lot of people critique. Right, in this but series. let's get into that because what bothers me about it is how, as I said in my summary, it's like pseudo sexual, right? It's like we see the Collins and they're touching each other, and you know Carlisle has his wife Esme, but then it's they're like it's mate. very clear, <laughs> yeah, it's very clear that Rosalie and Emmett are a thing, and Jasper and Alice are a thing. Edward doesn't have anybody because he's a grump. Um, <laughs> but they're posing as family. So there's this weird, like, quasi-incestuous vibe where it's not actually incest because they're not actually related. But in private, it's like, like if we're looking at it from Bella's point of view, right? She's only ever known them as the Cullens. Yeah. But then in private, they're just kind of like, they're they're kind of just all over each other. Because, like you said, since there's this abstinence theme... We're not actually seeing the sex that we've associated with vampires. And that is a very weird decision, right? It's very mm. weird to defang vampires, if you pardon the pun. <laughs> um, you know, as we discussed in Buffy and also in our bonus episode, Interview with a Vampire. Sorry, Interview with the Vampire. Yes. <laughs> um, as we've discussed, right? Vampires are all about the sex. Like that is what vampires are a metaphor for, at least in, in our, our culture right now. And so for Stephanie Meyer to come along and be like, no, actually, you know, these vampires, like, they fuck. But we're not going to tell that they fuck because we don't want to encourage teenage girls to have sex. Because if you have sex, you will get pregnant and you will die. You'll die. But the, the thing is, is, like, the sexual tension is still there. It's quite palpable in Bella. And I think that's it's one of the so reasons. so there. Well, that's and it, so, but this it's is such you're a right. horny movie. It is, it is. It's all about lusting. It's all about um, wanting something you can't have in both regards. Like Bella wants Edward, but she can't have him. And Edward wants Bella in the sense that he wants to eat her, but he loves her, so he resists. So there's that sacrifice of you know, you know, putting aside the lust for a higher pursuit of romance here that. Uh, is appealing to, I think, a wide range of audiences, but for the most part, it's appealing to teenage girls because of that hormone-induced need <laughs> well, to, like, to jump Edward. <laughs> where you were, you, you know, they're in the science lab and they're looking at the slides and Bella's just like looking at Edward and you're like making this comment about how, like, what was it that you said? You said something like she's orgasming right now or something like oh, that? Oh, that's like the way they're staring at each other. She is orgasming like in her pants. like she's fucking him with her eyes, basically. Yeah, and they fuck each other with their eyes the entire movie. Yeah. <laughs> like Kristen Stewart does a really good job of, of portraying what she's being told she should portray to give off horny teenager vibes, right? <laughs> yeah, like... and it's honestly, it's done well because it's so angsty, right? And I think that's why, that's the female, teenage female viewpoint. Yeah, the female gaze. Yeah, of course, because it's all stares, it's all hands, and he, oh, he touched my hand. And the the very idea that this, this, let's say Edward is a normal teenage boy, that he loves her, but he also wants to have her. I think there right. is a huge metaphor there. And I think that's what adds to 
this thing that you're saying where it's like there's a sex drive in there, but it's so different from how other vampire fiction shows it. And let's talk about the scene where they first kiss. So Edward admits that he watches her sleep. He's been watching her sleep for months because <laughs> he's a creep. But um, he comes in there because he wants this time because he wants to try something new, which is to kiss her. So he crawls through her window, wakes her up. He he tentatively kisses her, right? Like the 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 build up to them first kissing is so delicious because it takes them like 5 minutes to get their lips touching and even well, then and I remember he's like stay perfectly still and I'm like <laughs> yeah because Edward's not very good at this and he needs all the help he can get. He's never he's kissed someone before. <laughs> He's going to miss. So he stays really, really, you, you notice in the scene, again, the, because it's the female gaze, Edward is perfectly still and they kiss very tentatively. And then it's Bella who gets up on him and pushes it further to the point where he needs to push away and jump, literally jump across the room away from her. And she's the one sitting in bed all confused without pants on. So I think what the film does well is getting that hormonal confusion from a girl standpoint across. Okay, that's fair. Right, that's what I'll give it that. But uh, yeah, the fact that it's so heteronormative with like the the vampire sibling couples are all there and they're yes. showing that they obviously all bang somehow, even though they don't have beds in their bedrooms. Right, the lack of beds, you know, and again, I'm an ace person, but I'm just like, there's beds are for more than sleeping, you know, like there's yeah, lots of things yeah. you can do with a bed. <laughs> Yeah. That's just great to lie in. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> but but you notice like so Edward like he wants to dance with Bella. He wants to cuddle with her in bed, but there will be no sex. There is no sex before marriage. It's not for Edward, um and therefore it's not for Stephanie Meyer. But you notice that there is the romance aspect there still because even yes. though they kiss and Edward's like I can't go too far with you for fear that I will murder you and drink all your blood. Everyday um, teenage problems. Every classic things that we all go through. But they spend the rest of the night. It's a montage of them chatting all night, and after chatting, they grow closer. And Edward wants then to invite her to his home then you know he puts her on her his back and they climb trees together and like the intimacy very clearly from stephanie meyer's point of view is the communication between the two and i i do understand their attraction to each other just from what the movie shows us and i think Kristen stewart and robert pattinson have a really nice chemistry and connection Hmm. but the idea that they can't sexually get with each other at least not in this book or in this movie it is really telling of the fact that Stephanie Meyer is preaching not to have sex before marriage. Well, and, and again, you brought up the heteronormativity, which mm-hmm. especially watching it in 2021 grates on me. This just absolute lack of any queerness and the prom scene in particular where everybody's walking through the arch and it's boy and girl, right? And mm-hmm. I, I understand that in the States in 2008 and perhaps even today in some places, um, you know, the idea of two boys, two girls, the idea of gender non-conforming and non-binary people going to prom together, it just will not stand. But watching that scene, I'm just like, this is toxic. This reinforcement through, like, it's because it's systemic, because the high school is endorsing it, right? This reinforcement yeah. of, you know, you will grow up, you will partner up with a person of the quote-unquote opposite sex, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, and you will respectfully court them and you will get married and you will have babies. And it's just like, you know, it's so exclusionary. It's so toxic. And 
if in any other movie, right, you would probably glaze over it. But in this movie, because the rest of the movie is so heteronormative, so sex negative, it's just like that really kind of hit me. I'm just like, oh, like, really? Yeah. Or like even the fact that the Colin family itself, who are just a bunch of dorks in a nice house in the woods, <laughs> um, they're not complete until Edward finds his female mate, right? Until he finds a woman. Yes. So this is where maybe we can get into like Bella's alternative suitor, Jacob. <laughs> Um, and I just want to throw out here because you you told me a secret stuff, and I don't know if you want to confess, but your allegiance <laughs> is switched, right? Uh, yes, thanks for exposing me. Um, I will admit that from 2008 till I don't know, probably recently, like 2018, um, I was Team Jacob. There it is. I was Team Jacob. I was like, yep, this this is the one for Bella, and I've changed my mind since because maybe I've grown up and I realized that oh. Jacob is a petulant 16-year-old who needs to grow up and realize some things about the Edward's world. so mature and sophisticated. Edward just, just is just a broody, wants what's best for Bella kind of guy. But no, yeah, so Jacob Black is, I guess, Bella's childhood werewolf friend. We don't know he's a werewolf. Ooh, that's a spoiler. <laughs> um, Sorry, guys. If you haven't seen the next movie from 2009 or whatever, like... <laughs> we apologize for spoiling that for you. There it is. If you uh, didn't know that Jacob's a werewolf because somehow you, your internet connection has been down for the past 13 years. <laughs> spoiler alert. <laughs> um, and then, you know, another spoiler alert. He does become the third angle of this triangle between werewolf and vampire and human love triangle. But um, in this movie, he's just Jacob. And he goes to school on the reservation nearby. And that is something that I thought was so interesting because Kara and I come from Thunder Bay and Thunder Bay also has a reservation. And most of the indigenous students in the city go to the high school. That's for indigenous students. So I thought that was interesting that Stephanie Meyer added those well, elements I, in. I, I mean, as I said, when we were watching the movie... You know, the Quileute tribe is a real tribe. And mm -hmm. Stephanie Meyer single-handedly did yeah. so much damage to this tribe because, you know, she put them in this book, but she distorted their legends, which are sacred teachings. Mm -hmm. She distorted them. Yes, she brought a lot of tourism to the area. And that can be very positive for, for people, especially for like impoverished tribal nations. But, you know, overall, my understanding from the reading I've done is that the net impact has been fairly negative. And it's just it's another example of what we would call cult cultural appropriation. And you and I have talked about this on the podcast before, mm -hmm. where it's like she didn't really have the right to take this tribe's stories and teachings and turn them into fodder for this werewolf legend. <laughs> you yeah. know, it's very different from vampires, which are concocted from multiple european traditions and you know if you're of european heritage go ahead use european traditions you're allowed uh, and also you know like vampires and werewolves too like are so generic now yes you can tell a vampire story you can tell a werewolf story but if you connect your werewolf story to the legends of a real life tribe mm -hmm. of indigenous people that is problematic uh, and i just wanted to call that out and mention that we don't have to spend too much time on it but i just kind of like well, oh. 
Yeah, no, I agree with you. And it, it's not a big part of this movie, but it is a big part of the series. So for sure, we needed to comment on that. And the idea that um, Taylor Lautner, who they casted to play Jacob Black, sure, he's super hot. Um, but uh, the, the problem with him is that he's not Quilute. And I, I'm not sure if the actors behind him, because sometimes he's got his friends with him, uh, they mm-hmm. might be of, of Indigenous descent. But... Yeah, Taylor Lautner, I believe, is a mix of Dutch, French, and German, apparently. And he always said that he was had distant Native American ancestry. Of course, but they always don't say we that. all? <laughs> don't we all? Um, yeah. So, so that is problematic with the fact that they didn't go out of their way to cast more yeah. uh, prominent Indigenous actor to play a very prominent Indigenous main character in a series that's going to reach you know billions of people around the world. Yeah. That sucks. So yeah, like I don't know, like I, I wonder if they had re- if they redid the movie now, if they ever did a reboot of it, if they would try harder to find actors that have the right background instead. But yeah, so but that being said, he's not a big role in this movie. He's if anything, he's just a tease for what's to come later. I actually have something to say about Taylor Lautner too, because when you think back on this time period, uh, you were Team Edward, Team Jacob. They did a lot of press tours for these movies and they were in a lot of, you know, like MTV movie awards and they were all over your TV screens on like E! News or E! Hollywood. In all the gossip magazines and papers, people are paying a lot of attention to the three of them, Kristen Stewart, Rob Pattinson and Taylor Lautner. But Taylor Lautner was underage. He was, I think, 16 or 17 when he got casted for this role. And the next movie where he blew up, coming out as a werewolf and always having his shirt off, the media sexualized Taylor Lautner to the point where he would go on press tour and grown men and women would be like, take off your shirt so that we can see your body because his physique was incredible because it had to be because he was always shirtless and he was a built werewolf. But people forget that he was a teenager. He was 17. So if they had done this to a 17 year old girl, how problematic but because he was a boy people thought it was okay they're like come dance up on us like take off your shirt we want to look at your body but he was a child yeah and that they goes back to the whole him. twilight mom thing you know I'm yeah. just like, that's what makes me uncomfortable is you could be any age and enjoy twilight but maybe don't talk about how you're sexually attracted to this kid right like you can admi- like you'd be like yeah he's good looking for sure but the when you in the real world the actor himself was sexualized as a child. And that's really problematic in our society that we overlooked it because he's a man as opposed to a young girl. So oof, oof, oof. But um, if we ever cover New Moon, (laughs) we'll have a lot more to say about him, I think. I know later you might think that it's like vampire versus werewolf. But in this movie, it's vampire versus other vampires who are not vegetarian vampires. (laughs) (laughs) We have like, like, they look like a rock band. (laughs) They come out of nowhere. One has, like, their shirts are open. (laughs) These are the wild vampires who, um, what are their names? It's like... Uh, Laurent, because he's French. So he's black and... um... There's Victoria, who's a white woman, uh, very kind of like, I don't know, like high society, low society, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Um, And there's James, who proves to be the antagonist because Victoria is really weirdly underutilized because like she's apparently helping James, but we don't actually see her until the very end again where she's still alive. And it's like, oh, is this bitch going to get revenge? (laughs) Like, What's going on? (laughs) Uh, And none of the Collins seem particularly concerned about that. And then um, Laurent shows up. 
uh, after we learn that James is hunting Bella and he shows up and talks with Carlisle and he's like, this, you know, this isn't my problem, but just so you know, James just wants to eat Bella. And then he's like, I'm leaving now. (laughs) (laughs) You and I were dying. We were (laughs) dying over that. Because it's just like, okay, thanks. And he's like, well, not my problem. (laughs) 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 But this is, it was watching with you, Carl, where I've seen this movie, I don't know, 20 times. And um, it was with you where I finally realized, I was like, why, if you, okay, if you, Collins, there's seven of you, all right? There's seven of you, one Bella. There's three of the other. Laurent is clearly not into it. So there's seven versus two vampires. Yeah. Why are you splitting up? Why don't you just stay at your house? Seven people protecting Bella. Why did you split up into twos and threes and whatever and create a hunting situation for James, who they say is a tracker? To, to do like to, that, that's what he wants to do he wants to chase you so why don't you just stay where you are and boundary up and use your knowledge of the territory to like lay a trap for him right because they know everything they could like drive him into a spot where they capture him and you know i don't know burn him alive or whatever they want to do like right an impenetrable yeah, it, space yeah it's it, yeah encase him in cement was my suggestion right? <laughs> um <laughs> So, you know, it's it's one of those examples of like, well, they wanted a chase scene. And again, I know this is all in the books and stuff, but it's like they wanted a chase scene. They wanted to heighten that tension. They haven't earned it because mm-hmm. they're just explaining this. And it, it makes what I call quasi sense where it's like on the surface level. Yes, everything they're saying makes sense. But as you and I are talking about, right, if we dig deeper, it's like, well, there's alternatives that you never rejected and your story hasn't earned the pathway that it's going down it's basically just forcing us down this pathway and it's a little bit contrived mm-hmm. <sighs> yeah but you know there is the badass soundtrack so i guess we can forgive it we can forgive. well these are the things that's like okay no 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 but then i'm like hey i'm still having fun i'm watching the movie you know what i mean yes uh we i mean let's talk about the baseball scene the iconic oh vampire I baseball felt like scene. i was on drugs i'm like is this what it's like to be <laughs> high like watching this movie because every time we just cut to a different surreal scene i'm just like what the fuck is going on? Yeah, and also we were commenting on the the the, the tone, the sepia tone, or uh, the dark, moody look of this movie, um, the bluish tinge that everything has that makes everybody look pale, not just the vampires. Everybody looks like a vampire in this movie. Mm. Uh, and it kind of, the way they cut it, even when like, you know, when Edward and Bella are falling in love and he's playing her the piano, cut to the baseball scene where it's just like weird, weird editing uh makes you feel like you're in a celine dion music video uh the va- the the baseball scene for sure makes you feel like you're on drugs because you're like okay i'm into this love story bella is discovering this new world and this movie does do a good job of world building but all of a sudden we're on this baseball field and this this family is like let's play <laughs> it's thundering let's play and it's such a it's such a weird, weird moment. However, I'm here for the ride. You know what I mean? Like, I, yeah. I think for me, I think that when this movie doesn't take itself too seriously and it does stuff yes. like this, I'm okay. It's it's fun. It's okay as long as it's self aware and being like, all right, let's do this. Everyone, put on your baseball caps. <laughs> yeah, they I'm got the uniforms and stuff. I think it's cute. It's fine. It's totally fine. It's just so funny when they're playing and yes. like um, Rosalie's like, my monkey man. <laughs> uh, 
I'll keep coming <sighs> back for more. I'll watch more of it. I don't know. Yeah, we can start wrapping it up because what else is there to say about well, this movie? Okay, so final thoughts on Twilight the movie. <laughs> for me, what I think is the reason why I keep coming back, and I like, yeah, of course, there's the female gaze element of it all that I I relate to. I actually think it's just like. It, it takes you back to what it might have felt like to be a young girl in high school. And I think it really does help that Bella and her friends don't look like how maybe a TV show at the time would depict teenagers like Gossip Girl mm. or One Tree Hill or any of those kind of shows. Even Buffy, right, where they, they dress so bizarrely for high school like they look like sophisticated young professionals whereas look at what Bella's wearing she's wearing very sensible snow boots <laughs> and she's got like she she's got like you know her her jeans and her her teenager clothes they well, look like partly teens. that's because it's the pacific northwest and not california like that's part of part of the problem is that so many american tv shows are set in california right that you get this yeah. almost like biased view of what high schools are like yeah 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 so but i think that's what helps me get into the mood of a hormonal yeah. teenage girl and sure this is a silly silly movie right and the situation is silly I, I think that the movie actually is quite sincere and earnest. It's for sure earnest in what it's doing. <laughs> um, and I'm not surprised, again, that movie critics, who tend to be mostly male, I'm not surprised that they would shit mm -hmm. on it because I shit on it too. Because it's meant for a teenage girl audience, and I don't think it's going to stretch much further than that intended audience. But it doesn't yeah. need to. It's speaking to who it needs to speak to. And when I watch Twilight, again, I, I think I can put myself in that space of being a teenage girl and it's quite nostalgic for me so i don't blame anyone who wants to watch beautiful sparkly vampires and linger in that feeling of what it's like to be lost in this kind of fantasy world i get it i'm with you watch away read away you know enjoy yourself because it's just a silly earnest romp and lose yourself in it why not well said i mean <laughs> i really you. like how you put that uh, i don't <laughs> think i could put it any better myself my final thoughts would be, I think the movie is a lot less problematic than the book. You know, as we were talking about, like, the abstinence stuff, like, it's, le it's less pre uh, prevalent in the movie. Mm -hmm. And I appreciate that. Because my only issue with saying, you know, just enjoy it, just, in, you know, read the books, watch the movies, enjoy it, is I don't want to encourage, you know, <laughs> Hollywood or whomever that, oh, this is the stuff that you should keep making, right? Like, I do think that we have a responsibility as consumers of media to send the right messages in terms of like, this is problematic. I'm not going to partake in this. I'm not going to participate in this. Because, you know, when we push movie studios, when we push these corporations, they do move. They don't move as fast as we'd like them to, mm -hmm. but they do move, right? Like, we're starting to see like Marvel finally putting some queer characters in, in their movies and TV yes. shows. And is it... Good enough? No, it's no. not. But that is starting to happen because we're moving that needle. So I think it is important when we talk about something like Twilight to be very clear, right, that it's like there's a lot of problematic shit in here that we don't want to see repeating in our media. But like you said, there is a lot that you can enjoy about it. And this is what I always tell people when I'm criticizing the stuff they love. I'm like, the fact that I'm criticizing this doesn't mean that you have to love it less. Yeah. Right, Like all of our media is problematic, but your criticism should allow you, which I think you did a really good job of in this episode, Steph, your criticism should allow you to separate out the things that you love versus 
the really problematic stuff. And it gives you not just a better understanding of what you're Mm -hmm. consuming, but of yourself. Yeah, I agree. And like, let's not overlook the fact that this movie, it took young girl emotion seriously. And that led to later taking on the Hunger Games and Divergent, which have female characters that have more agency than Bella has. But it did open the doors. I never watched Divergent. Hunger Games was okay. Um, (laughs) It'll do. Those things will all do. I'm more like to all the boys, right? Like to all the boys I loved before. Again, that's another example of first movie was directed by women and written by women. And then the second movie, a man directed. And the third movie, right? Because like once it blew up, you're right. We got to take control away from those women. Um, But like, that's what I want to see is, you know, I I appreciate what Twilight's doing, but I just want us to be very deliberate when we call for more of the female gaze for more women-centered, women-produced movies. Mm-hmm. Let's make sure that we put forward source material that is progressive, you know, that is thoughtful. Let's bring in queer characters, trans characters. Mm-hmm. Let's bring in, you know, mm-hmm. all sorts of things because I feel like that's how we actually grow. So my issue with Twilight is you can love Twilight but we should be careful that we don't continue to hold up Twilight as this is what we want in our media, right? I feel like we should continue to look for better, demand mm-hmm. better, continue yeah. to ask for progress. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, because unlike you, Stephanie, I'm not coming back to this movie. <laughs> what do you mean? We've got four more movies to watch. <laughs> I don't think it's a very good movie, okay? That's my final thought. Hey, and again, I'm not saying it's, you know, this is not... A plus stuff, but if it is to you, go for it. You know yes. what I mean? Enjoy yourself. And, uh, you know, what we're saying at the end of the day, this is a movie that set the stage for where we can go from here, right? What, mm-hmm. like, what, how can we make this better? We need more women in media. We need more women producing, directing, writing, acting. We need the lens. Okay. I'm going to finish off with one last question here, Stephanie, for you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Angel or Edward? Who's better? Angel, angel, all the way for me. Uh, that, I'm glad there is we no could competition. Keep doing this podcast together. <laughs> that was a test. <laughs> that, that was that was a test. But thank you everybody for listening to our critique on Twilight. If you want more, if you want to force Kara to watch oh, New Moon, Eclipse, Breaking Dawn Part One and Two, if you want Kara to watch it all, let us know, and we will let you dictate what she watches next. <laughs> Well, uh, yeah, I, I mean, that's the thing, right? Is we love doing these bonus episodes. Share them, you know, share them outside of your your Buffy fans, right? Like if you have Twilight friends, share this episode and maybe they'll get into the podcast. Yeah, um, yeah w- we will definitely consider doing the other <laughs> Twilight movies. Uh, lots of possible bonus episodes out there. And I look forward to hearing people's thoughts on this one. Bye, everybody. Bye. Thanks for listening to Prophecy Girls. If you want and can afford to donate, head over to buymeacoffee.com slash prophecygirls for one-time and monthly options. We appreciate all of your support, even if it's just spreading the word about us or enjoying our show week by week. We also invite you to join in the discussion by messaging us on our social media channels. Follow us at Prophecy Girls Podcast on TikTok, Instagram, and Facebook, and prophecy underscore girls on Twitter. You can also reach out to our email at prophecygirlspodcast at gmail.com or visit our website, prophecygirls.ca. See you next week. Bye.